Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is 1v1 video season, my friend. What? Make up all of your minds right now while no one else is playing defense. Run, don't walk to see Blind Spotting. It's a movie. It's out right now before the NFL season begins in earnest. It's one of the best things you're going to watch this summer. Much better than 1v1 videos, by the way. <laughs> uh, and we are drinking Anchor Steam today for a very, very specific reason. You'll find out near the end of the show. Let's jump right into it, man. We've got actual training camp reports. We've got the rookie hype squad, and it has a clear winner, and it is Colton Shelton. His double knee dive, I was worried he was going to tear something. I know. You can't like technically call it a slide because there wasn't a whole lot of sliding involved. No. Um, you're very worried that he was going to severely injure himself uh, rewatching that. I don't think he knows um, that they spray down soccer fields with water to make them that slick. You mean it's not like the Geico commercial where the guy just like rolls around the whole field no, in circles? No, fun fact. Strange. It seems like that's how it would work. Come for the football knowledge. Stay for the football knowledge. <laughs> uh, so the, the other thing, of course, that happened in training camp was that there are a lot of 1v1 videos that are coming out. And we here on the Better Rivals podcast, we've done this before, but this is just your friendly reminder. Put these videos in context, especially the Sherman Goodwin video, which has made the rounds. Uh, now... You've got like, you know, Pierre Garçon might be a surprise cut because we need better wide receivers on there. Is Sherman going to get cut? I mean, like just the, the takes uh, are coming everywhere. That was a legit question that Mayoko answered on his like Q&A on his oh, podcast. Wow. This Remember last year when everybody was uh, freaking out about Miles Garrett, like blowing by Joe Thomas and then yeah. it turns out it was a screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so let's talk about the context of these one for these one view one videos, because they're the, the thing that I think most people forget or maybe don't know is that these drills have a very specific purpose in mind. And a lot of times it's to get rep for uh, to get a rep for one of the sides, not both. So when you've got one right wide receiver going up against a cornerback, the wide receiver really should win. That's a drill that is made to help the wide receiver get a rep. There's no safety help. Usually the cornerback is not going to be playing some kind of technique like press that helps him out like Sherman against Goodwin. And the wide receiver knows exactly what they're doing. And the cornerback can't read the rest of the route combination to make a break on the ball. And so overall, you just you're you're at a place where the wide receiver should be making that play. And in fact, if they don't make the play is where you should be worried. It's also kind of funny, too, because you see some like strange routes every once in a while, like. Uh, I think it was Dante Pettis. The quadruple move? Uh, yeah, and it's like, cool four-second route, bro. Jimmy's fucking on his back right now. <laughs> like, that's not helping anyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to, like, shake that DB after three and a half seconds. Like, it's he about did, time. He didn't even have to have the last move either. Like, that was just gratuitous. <laughs> right, yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, so you gotta love that. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing with those videos, right, is... The, rather than jumping to to some sort of judgment, I, I mean, the first step should be like trying to gather some relevant information, right? Like, what's going on here? What are they trying to teach? And you may not be able to answer those questions, right? We're not always going to know uh, the purpose of what, um, you know, the coaches are trying to get at. You know, I think a lot of times, like you mentioned, sometimes the drills very clearly favor one side or the other. You know, um, I, I think the pass protection, pass protection drills yeah. are uh, very clearly that where the offensive player is at a pretty big disadvantage there so uh yeah you have situations like that but then you also have times where in, in some of those drills um 
they're working on a very specific technique that you might not be aware of, right? It came uh, out later with the the wide receiver corner drill specifically that like the corners were working uh, specifically and more like off technique and we're trying not to be as physical at the line of scrimmage. And so that's going to change, be a change from like how they typically go about things. So, uh, and you hear like quarterbacks talk about this as well, right? When you see like, in the same vein or like the training camp quarterback completion numbers, which is those are the like, worst. Get the fuck out of here, man. Uh, I don't care worst. like what your completion percentage is in seven on seven. Like, and, and a lot of times I know Garoppolo, uh, I think has mentioned this at some point. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has talked about this, like uh, in some detail at various, in various interviews, like over the years where like, yeah, sometimes you want to see, uh, I'm going to throw like a tough ball, like in contested coverage and see if a receiver can make a play on it. Right. That's going to give me some more information that I can use come game time, whether I can trust that guy. So they're always trying things out. And like, this is the time for that. That's what camp is for is for, uh, you know, and ins- not only installing like all the scheme and game plan stuff that you're going to be using throughout the year, but it's also working on things, making mistakes now so that you can correct them and be ready to roll come season. So just remember context, context, context. Let's get to the third story here in the rundown. And it just feels like the Trent Balky first round pick parade. They're all on borrowed time, man. DeForest Buckner is the only player at this point that is protected by Cosa Nostra. And, and everyone else is, is, is injured, man. You've got Jimmy Ward. He's got no clear position role. Uh, and he was pulled out of practice today with some tightness of what? Who knows? Uh, tight, <laughs> just tight, general tightness. T- tight ego. Uh, you know, like a, a tight confidence. I don't know who knows, right? But he's in the final year of his deal. Eric Armstead injured yet again, week to week with a hamstring injury. And, and usually like week to week is not a good sign. Day to day, you're like, okay. But week to week, it's like, we'll come back in a week. Usually not a good sign. Uh, and Josh Garnett, he is injured again. Uh, he's got, he's day to day with a knee injury. Apparently he's, he's not, that's not a huge worry, but he wasn't getting very many first team reps at all to begin with. So this is just a parade of injuries, man. Is the Trent Balky curse? It's it's like so these injuries uh in a vacuum, right? Almost all of them certainly not like that big of a deal, right? I, I think in general, like in training camp, you're expecting guys here and there to get a little dinged up. You miss a practice or two, you know, you have a few guys that go day to day and it's not like a huge concern necessarily. But I think uh, in specific situations, it can be a larger thing. And I think with these three players in particular, you're all dealing with, they're all players who really needed to make it through this camp and this off season preseason phase, uh, kind of unscathed, right? Like let's get through injury free because all of them been dealing with, um, you know, injuries to some degree over the past couple seasons, um, you know, get a chance to like actually, uh, in Garnett's case, like get reps in this new system. And, you know, with these guys on defense, it's actually getting a chance to be out there with the ones and, uh, and kind of fine tuning things as you get into the season. And none of them just, it's just like a, it gives you an odd feeling about all of them. You wonder like what their role is going to be this year, whether they're even going to have one. Like, yeah, it just feels like it's a matter of when, not if they're going to be moving on from this team. So do you think that these players are going to make any kind of a significant impact in 2018? The only player that I think I might lean toward is I I, I think Armstead's still going to be okay, right? Even though he's got, I guess it depends on the severity of that injury, right? He's got the most significant injury uh, of the three as of right now, but uh, I, I think the path is clearest for him to be able to get on the field, you know, at least even if it's a part-time role, I think he can still have an impact there as a pass rusher. Whereas with Ward, 
you know, I, I have no idea where he's going to get on the field, like what he's going to what his role is ultimately going to be on this team. Garnett, again, even when he was healthy, he's not even getting first team reps. And that's with Jonathan Cooper not practicing because he started camp on the pup. Hey man, Mike Person, um, he boomeranged. He yeah, came, sure. He came back around. Like if you can't beat out Mike Person for first team uh, reps, you know, at that and, and win that battle, which, you know, again, they, it may have just been because Gar- Garnett's a little bit behind and they want him to, to catch up a little bit before giving him that opportunity. Who knows? But it's certainly just not it's not the start that you would want to see to camp right you want to see things go relatively smoothly for for these players to feel good about their chances and yeah i think right now uh armstead's the only one that i feel kind of semi-confident is still going to have some sort of impact this year all right and final bonus story is the hype train continues the matt Breida hype train what? did you see that move on uh this is a 1v1 video and we're gonna get appropriately excited because Cut why not Ruben foster right now why yeah. is he even on the team he can't even cover matt Breida. What it is doesn't he matter here? i'm gonna let that fuel the hype train even more get aboard Choo-choo! matt Breida. this is like the second year in a row he's getting hype as the best back at camp right like there's all this everybody's like throwing shade at mckinnon right now he's like oh man matt Breida's out there impressing I'm like look Love me some Matt Breida. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. It's going to be fine. All right. So let's get into it. Let's get into the season prediction episode. We're doing it a little early this year as compared to last. But overall, we're going to give you the storylines that you should be focusing on and tell you whether or not that storyline will end positively for the 49ers. Basically, these are the things that have to go right for the 49ers to beat their Vegas total of eight wins and potentially sniff the playoffs for the first time since 2013. So we're going to use our patented better rivals confidence rating. It's a statistical model that we built ourselves. It takes a lot of inputs and spits out a simple tripartite rating of low, medium, and high. Those are math terms. And I know that we've been getting real mathy on this podcast, so I figured we'd continue the math trend. It's all highly scientific. Like, it's not even really worth explaining in that in depth because it, there's just so much like, yeah. math and if, science if in there. We, that... If we tried to explain it to you, you'd probably miss it. Yeah, it's fine. It's don't cool. worry about yeah. it. Uh, but it is patent pending, so don't try and steal it or reverse engineer it. I'm looking at you, Peace Park guys. And, and overall, we're going to look at each storyline, give you a couple of reasons why we think it will successful, a couple of things that you may have to worry about. And then at the end, we'll give you a confidence rating of low, medium, and high, the patented better rivals confidence rating, to figure out whether or not we think that this will be, uh, that this will end up positively for the 49ers in 2018, all in service of predicting whether or not they're going to finish uh, with over eight wins at the end of the year. So we're going to tackle a couple of different themes. First up, of course, the most important position on the field, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. And the question here, of course, is going to be whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo can sustain cluster one play over an entire season. So I think the thing with Jimmy is that there is a very encouraging case to be made. And this is something that we've talked about, you know, a few different times over the course of the offseason. Encourage me, David. uh, there, There are a lot of facets with his game, you know, last season, the way that he performed that, that leaves you feeling positively about his chances to, to kind of sustain that level of performance next season. So when we look at uh, kind of the most stable elements of quarterback play, right? This is uh, something that the guys at PFF on the analytics team have done a lot of work on this offseason. Um, of course, we talked to George a couple episodes about some of this stuff, but I think that you start with right performance in a clean pocket. When, when a quarterback is unfazed, he's able to kind of step back find the open receiver, make that throw. How is he performing in those situations? Well, Jimmy had the third highest grade from a clean pocket last year. 
You move on to accuracy. Accuracy is something that tends to be very consistent from season to season. Um, This is especially true when you're targeting open receivers, so guys that have a step or more of separation. Jimmy was the third most accurate quarterback overall, the fourth most accurate when targeting open receivers last year. And then one of the other big things that's stable from year to year is actually avoiding the bad plays, avoiding the turnover-worthy plays. That's a number that tends to be consistent year to year. Jimmy had the fifth lowest percentage of turnover-worthy plays. All of these rankings are out of, uh, I believe it was 41 quarterbacks that were uh, a part of the QB annual stuff. So overall, very, very good in all of the, the main elements that we know are kind of stable from season to season. So I think that's where you start, right, with him is, is he was very good in the areas that we know tend to continue from season to season. So you're throwing math at me, and I'm going to throw some math right back at you. And it's really the math of sample size, because if you're going to make a case against Jimmy Garoppolo being able to sustain cluster one level play over a 16 game season, really your main argument is about sample size. He just hasn't played enough snaps for us to be confident that even these encouraging signs are real. When you look at quarterbacks who have started hot, just like Jimmy Garoppolo, you're looking at a long list of players like Tim Rattay, Mark Bulger, Paul Justin. If you know who that is, good for you. <laughs> Elvis Gerback, Steve Bono, uh, and John Forcade, which sounds like sure. a, it sounds like an arcade. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he couldn't have been good. Like that's very strange. No, New Orleans in 1989, man. That that was a, that was that was a it's year. A dark time. Yeah, apparently. So these are these are quarterbacks that, based on football outsiders, had very very good DVOA, which is kind of performance over average, uh, in their first 120 to 250 passes. After 1986, there are a couple of their names on here worth noting, Colin Kaepernick, Deshaun Watson, and of course, the leader of this group, Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to get to them in a second. But overall, just because you have a really, really solid start to your career, a career that looks like it's going to be on an an upward trajectory, doesn't mean that that's what you're able to do over the course of the rest of your career. And so we have all of this, all of these examples of small sample size quarterbacks that started out hot, but then weren't able to sustain it. We just went through this, right? We just went through this with Colin, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Uh, you know, we were all aboard the Colin Kaepernick train. You know, this was like very early for us, you know, podcast, having that playoff run, him coming in. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of went through this. And, and I think that list just kind of goes to show, again, starting hot doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're going to be able to continue that play. I think the one caveat that's worth pointing out with that list, and this is something uh, that they do mention in the actual uh, essay there in the Football Outsiders Almanac is all of those other guys outside of Deshaun Watson and Colin Kaepernick may not be the really the best comps because they're not really coming from that same pedigree, right? You look at all those other names and it's sixth round picks or later um, guys that you weren't really expecting to be good to begin with. So kind of the the outlier in all of that is that they actually had a stretch of play where they were good, not that they ultimately ended up bad. And so I think with Watson and Kaepernick being kind of the more closer comparisons there, we really don't have a lot of information. I mean, Watson's in the same situation that Garoppolo's in where he has, you know, what half a season worth of playing time. And Kaepernick is one guy, right? You're not going to make any sweeping conclusions about how one other player did in a similar situation. So uh, I think all that is to say there's a lot unknown, right? It's a small number of dropbacks that we have. I think we're under 300 dropbacks right now uh, with his, in his career to this point. And 
even that really good stuff could just be kind of noise at this point. You know, we just don't have uh, enough there to feel confident in that one way or another. If really since 1986, the two quarterbacks that embody this hot start are truly Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and we have a bit more sample size of Colin Kaepernick, because while this ends at 200, at 250 passes, we know quite a bit more about Colin Kaepernick that happened after his 251st pass. So let's go ahead and focus on Garoppolo and Watson. Would you rather have Garoppolo's style of play or Watson's style of play if you were to build a franchise right now? I think I would go with Garoppolo. I think, um, you know, uh, talking about those elements that are stable, right? And and then on the other, the flip side of that, some that aren't. I think Watson last year really excelled on in that some of the play. areas, yeah, yeah. That, that aren't as stable, right? He was excellent under pressure um, and made a lot of plays like uh, kind of out of structure, essentially. And so... There were some elements there where you do worry about some regression with him. Obviously, he's young and he's, you know, hopefully going to continue to develop and he's going to improve in some of those other areas. But the the case in that limited sample certainly isn't as strong with Watson as it is with Garoppolo right now. So, uh, yeah, I think, again, knowing the the limitations that you have to work with being uh, with the number of dropbacks that he has, Garoppolo is in about as good a position as you can be in at this kind of stage in the game. Well, that's one of the other things I think that's interesting in terms of a regression perspective. And I think, obviously, we all joke about Garoppolo being undefeated and being amazing and being great. But there, there is an area where Jimmy could regress a little bit, uh, regress towards the mean, and that's in his performance under pressure. His performance under pressure was ridiculous last year. I think uh, pro, pro, pro Football Focus tweeted out a graphic recently that talked about, I think, his like yards per attempt on plays under pressure. And he yeah. was easily, he easily better than Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is the best under pressure. There's yeah, almost, he was just under like nine. I think he was like 8.6 or something, 8.7. There are quarterbacks who can't do that with a clean pocket. Yeah. And Garoppolo is doing that with, a, with pressure in his face. Now, do I think that he's going to sustain that? Absolutely not. He, could he be great under pressure? Absolutely. But that, that number is probably primed to be reduced a little bit. And, and if that does, then you could still see Garoppolo be very good but still not have it be as good as it was in this start of, of his career. And I think this goes uh, you know, to the whole like unknown of this, this situation because you could also throw out like red zone as an area where that could regress to the mean positively, right? It was really bad uh, last year uh, in the red zone relative to the rest of his play. And, and that was an area, again, that's not very stable season to season because you're working with a, a much smaller subset of plays right that, that you don't get a lot of dropbacks in the red zone so your performance there is going to be a bit more varied that was an area where he struggled where you could see you know even if he regresses a little bit turns a few more of those drives from field goals to touchdowns that's going to help the 49ers offense a decent amount so yeah there's a lot of areas there once you uh kind of move beyond those stable elements at the core where you know you could see that stuff uh go one way or another and that that can have from on a seasonal basis, right, that can definitely be a big swing in performance overall. All right, so hit me with your confidence rating, the, uh, the patented Better Rivals confidence rating. What's your confidence level that Jimmy Garoppolo will be able to sustain a cluster one play over or cluster one play over the entire season? Would you say that is high, uh, low, medium, or high? I'm going high. Yeah, I, I, I think um, everything, again, even with all the caveats that we just mentioned there as to why you might want to be a little skeptical that, that that'll continue. Um, I, I think based on where we're at right now, it's hard to imagine somebody in a better position. I think kind of all of the boxes get checked, right? It's not only the data elements there that we mentioned, but 
even he's also good looking yeah (laughs) great look dating a porn star that's gotta go well one date one date one date fine um I think uh, I think yeah, it's, it's hard to to imagine a player at this stage in the game having a better case to to continue to play very well. So yeah, I'm going to go high there. Wholeheartedly agree. Plus one. So let's move to the next big storyline, and that's going to be about pass coverage, and that's whether or not the pass coverage unit is going to take a significant step forward. Basically, any way you slice it, last season the 49ers' pass coverage was pretty bad. They were 26th in PFF coverage grades. 28th in pass defense DVOA. They were 24th in adjusted net yards per attempt, uh, all of which means you bad. Yeah, no matter what site, what metric that you want to go yeah. with that you prefer, like it's hard to find a metric that points uh, to the 49ers pass defense being any good. Last yeah, season. exactly. So you basically behind your ability to pass the ball on offense, your ability to stop the pass is the next most important aspect to assure team success. And, and we know that it's a valuable part of the game as well. We had that great conversation with George talking about valuable parts and what gets you wins above replacement. We know, though, that San Francisco devoted a ton of resources to addressing the issue during, off, during the offseason. They signed Richard Sherman. They drafted Tarvarius Moore. They drafted DJ Reed. They signed Tarvarius McFadden as a priority undrafted free agent. And then they drafted a coverage linebacker in Fred Warner. So they threw a bunch of resources at the problem. The question, though, is whether or not those resources were valuable assets because you've got rookies and outside of Tarvarius Moore, you've got no one that was drafted outside past the fifth round. Now, Fred Warner, I guess, linebacker, different situation, but he may not start. And Richard Sherman, of course, is coming off of injury. So yes, they loaded that position with assets, but they loaded it with assets that are an absolute crapshoot at this point. Definitely. I think if we start with this one with kind of like, why should you be a little skeptical that this isn't going to work out? I mean, this is something that we talked about uh, for years before, right? When the 49ers, you know, kind of in the post Jim Harbaugh era there where you had all these young players and all these question marks and like, yeah, could you outline a best case scenario where all of that worked out positively and, and everything was great? Sure, you could. But that's not always the most likely thing to happen. And and we know that all of those question marks aren't always going to be answered positively, right? You mentioned a bunch of them. It's does Richard Sherman return to even you know somewhat close to his pre-injury performance? Um, I think with the rookies, that becomes very interesting, right? It's it's more so, are they going to get on the field? Are they going going to be able to like the the three main rookies there? Not McFadden, that was an undrafted guy, but more Reed and Warner, all adjusting to new positions in the NFL from what they played uh, in college. Reed played uh, exclusively on the outside. Now he's getting I think snaps at free safety. Moore is the opposite, was playing safety in college, now is getting snaps at outside corner. Warner, as we talked about after the draft, was playing that kind of overhang position that doesn't really exist uh, exactly as it is in college in the NFL. So he's going to be making an adjustment, playing more off the ball. It's just, it's a lot of things to ask, and and you don't know how it's all going to work out with the other players that are in the secondary. You know, who's going to get on the field? What role are they going to have? I think there's a lot of question marks with this secondary right now. Well, even if you think about players that aren't new additions, even if you think of someone who is not quite a new addition, but is has gotten a lot of hype, and that's going to be our starting free safety, Adrian Colbert. Even Adrian Colbert's working with a a limited sample size, and and his coverage grades were were good, but they weren't like off the wall great in the six games that he started at the end of last year. So there's still even a question mark about whether he can sustain a pretty good level over the course of a year. So. 
even in what you would consider an established player, Adrian Colbert, you're only looking at six games. Akella Witherspoon, the yeah. other established part of the secondary, you're looking at, you know, he, he started, he started starting in what game four, game five. Um, so somewhere in there. Yeah. He had, I think like what, a little more than half the season worth of, of starting time. I think it yeah. was maybe like 10 games or so. You're still operating with limited sample size there as well. So you've got a lot of youth and, all of that breaks well. Things could be great, but we know the likelihood of all of those things breaking well is, well, it's not high. So what's the confidence rating then that the entire coverage unit is going to take a ginormous step forward uh, and be a, a really, really a good strength for the 49ers in 2018? I think I'm going to go medium with this one. Um, I think enough of them get answered positively that they they end up okay, right? I, I know that not all of them are going to be, and, and there's some, certainly some areas that I have more question marks than others. Um, I am worried whether they find a way to get some of these newer guys. And, and even, we didn't talk about Jimmy Ward there, but Jimmy Ward's in kind of a similar position, right? Where it's like, okay, he's one of the best, you know, defensive backs that they have on the roster, but he doesn't really have a clear spot and a clear way to get on the field. So I'm a little worried that they're going to find a way to use all of these guys properly, um, and, and be able to get them on there and get significant snaps to make an impact. But I think I feel good enough about Witherspoon taking a step forward and really becoming, uh, you know, a top cornerback in the league. I feel good enough about Richard Sherman at the very least being a significant upgrade over Dante Johnson, you know, even if he's not uh, pre-injury Richard Sherman. And then I think, you know, it's safety. That's where I think more of the medium confidence. I really like Colbert and Tart as players, but you know they're both kind of working with that smaller sample and, and don't have that track record of success. So I'm a little more iffy there. But ultimately, uh, yeah, I think they answer enough of those questions to take you know a, a step forward from one of the worst pass coverage units last season to at least getting to that average mark. Which you know again, if the offense does what it's supposed to do and what we expect it to do, uh, I think that's going to be good enough. And that, and that's where I would probably lean as well. The the key for me here is significant step forward. I like I want to define that, and I probably should have uh, when sure. I was creating this agenda. But but <laughs> the idea is that much to your point, I think Sherman is an obvious upgrade over Dante Johnson. And even if Witherspoon stays the same and Colbert stays the same, and Tart comes back from injury, I think Tart's already proven that he can be a great player. And so I think you've got enough. Even if you get stasis. You really get an upgrade uh, in one key area, and, and I think that helps enough to take a step forward, even if it's not significant. So I'll probably go in, in the, the middle area here as well, uh, using the the patented system, which I clearly forgot already, uh, medium. <laughs> yeah, I think in a way, right, it's it's almost a little like offensive line, where it's you, you really want to avoid having a very clear weakness, right, that the, the offense can attack and be able to go after, right? If you have Dante Johnson out there and you can just throw at him all game, it doesn't really matter quite as much how good the rest of the players are and i think they're in a good enough position they have enough players in the mix because they spent so many resources addressing this issue that they should be at least okay pretty much across the board there. and i do think there's value in the the brain power that sherman brings so even totally. if yeah. even if he ends up i mean when you think about his overall grade before he was injured it wasn't sherman level good but it was still decent. It, it was yeah. an above average grade. Totally. And so even in his worst year, when he was probably hampered by injury, it was still an above average grade. So if you end up with above average corners, even if you end up with average safety play and an above average strong safety, you end up with kind of an overall average to above average unit. 
Yeah, and I think you got some solid players in the the middle uh, of the field there, right? We didn't talk about Quan Williams, but he was, again, solid at the end of last season. Jimmy Ward gives you depth there. You have guys uh, at linebacker now with, uh, of course, Ruben Foster's great. We haven't talked about your favorite player, Malcolm Smith. Man, he already got injured again. I ain't even worrying about him. I'll, I'll believe. I'll talk about him when he's actually on the field. Uh, but yeah, I think there's you know there's enough there at each spot where they have uh, again enough players in the mix that they should be okay kind of uh, across the board, and that's enough to be. We we know again a, it can be a significant improvement just going from very bad to average. That that's a big big difference. All right, so next step in the storyline you should watch is all about pressure rate. And the core question here is going to be whether or not the 49ers can sustain or improve their pressure rate from 2017. So I think last year, right, it was kind of a surprising thing uh, if you weren't paying that close attention and that I think they were a little bit better than they were perceived to be. Um, You know, a lot of people have focused on the sacks and that sack rate was definitely low and and they didn't have enough players, uh, you know, really getting home consistently. But... They were 12th in pressure rate, according to PFF last year. So that was, uh, I think, better than most people expected it to be. And again, we know that pressure rate, uh, when when trying to project this stuff going forward, pressure is the process, sacks are the result, right? We we know that if you're generating pressure, it's more likely that you're going to sustain that from season to season than if you just happen to get a bunch of sacks one year, right? That tends to be a little bit more varied, bounce back and forth from year to year. So the fact that they were already pretty good, you know, not great, um, but but certainly, uh, you know, average or a little above that last season, that should make you feel that, uh, you know, they, they should have a good chance of reaching that number next season. The other, the other sub-question here that I think is important is whether or not the 49ers are going to see much pass rushing production from the edge position. Because while we're putting a lot of hope on DeForest Buckner, and he was a monster last year, and then you think to yourself, okay, maybe Solomon Thomas improves in year two, they're both still going to generate pressure from the interior. Solomon Thomas is going to kick inside on pass rushing downs. And we know that not all pressures are created equal. Specifically, interior pressure is not as valuable as pressure from the edge. When pressure only comes off the edge, the average the, the offense averaged about a negative 0.3 expected points added or EPA per play. That's slightly below the overall mean. Pressure that comes only from the interior or the nose position results in an average expected points added of about negative 0.17 and negative 0.2 respectively. So overall, pressure from the edge is going to be worse for the offense than pressure up the middle. And when you think of the pressure players that the 49ers have on the edge, you're talking about players like Cassius Marsh. He's entering his fifth year, and he's never had an above-average pass rushing grade. His pass rushing grade in 189 snaps in San Francisco were the best of his career. Absolute best of his career. And, and that's still, again, small sample size. Other than that, he's been an average to below-average pass rusher. Atauchu, another player entering his fifth year. His only high-quality pass rushing grade was his rookie year, and he's been below-average the last two years. Playing time is an issue, but this is a player that has not flashed outside of a couple of really good years to start his career. Everyone else, Pete T, still don't know how to pronounce his last name or what he looks like on the field. <laughs> Dakota Watson, 88 total snaps, average pass rush grade. Eli Harold only had four games with an above average run grade, and he finished the year with a below average, I'm sorry, with, a, with an above average pass rush and he finished the year with a below average. So only four games where he proved like above average confidence. And over the course of the year, Eli Harold, not very good. So when you put all that in a bag and you're like, well, 
the pressure that really affects defenses or the, the pressure that really affects offenses is going to be from the edge. The Niners don't really have a lot to provide in that regard. And so where the Niners are strong is not where they can affect offenses the most. Definitely. And it was kind of unfortunate for them. You know, a lot of people have talked about like, why didn't they go after more edge rushers this offseason? And it was just it was a bad year to need an edge rusher, right? There wasn't a great free agent class. Uh, the the draft class was very light. And, and so it just didn't work out in a way that allowed them to add. So you're bringing back largely the same crew. You're basically swapping out Doomerville for a Tauchu and, you know, hoping that, that that's going to work out for the best. And, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the edge is where you tend to get, you know, the EPA highlights, I think, the impact plays that you can get from edge pressure, right? You see a higher conversion to sacks from the edge. Uh, you see more really big negative plays and turnovers from the edge, right? You get those strip sacks more often. Well, that's the most valuable play um, when you're talking about rushing the pass. Totally. Right? It's going to be that strip sack. So you see that happen more often, you know, when you're getting pressure off the edge just because they have a cleaner shot at the ball and they're able to get in, in a position to, to be able to go after that. So and if you're coming from the blind side, oftentimes the quarterback can't see. Right. So there, there's just a lot more that goes into or a lot of reasons why that edge pressure is more valuable. And again, the EPA numbers, it's about not quite twice as valuable, but pretty close. Right. So uh, and not having those players on the edge that you can really count on to get after the quarterback, especially in those clear passing situations, um, is likely going to be a problem. And I think it is likely to be something that prevents them from being like a top pass rush. But again, I think with what they have there, there is enough reason to think this is largely the same unit, right? Again, you, we mentioned that Doomerville for a Tauchu swap, but other than that, you're largely dealing with the same crew of guys that's going to be out there getting snaps. Uh, and so pass rush grades are something that we know are a little bit more consistent than some of the other areas season to season. And, and so I feel like we're, we can at least count on that interior pressure. We know that those guys like, uh, like Buckner and Armstead, if he's out there, Solomon Thomas, hopefully is going to be a little bit better kicking inside to a more natural spot. So I think that's going to be there. The big question that's going to kind of determine their upside is whether any of these edge guys can kind of break out and break away from what they've done to their in their career to this point. And you mentioned the the Atachu for Doomerville swap. I'm still not sure whether that's an upgrade. Oh, no, I feel pretty good. It's not actually at this, yeah. at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> Doomerville was like, uh, I don't he know was, if the people he, realize he was incredibly how good he was. efficient. Yeah. He was incredibly efficient. He had just as many pressures as DeForest Buckner. I think DeForest Buckner had 52, 55. Uh, and I think Doomerville had 50. And he did it on like half as many pass snaps. He was remarkably efficient. He was exactly what we thought he would be channeling Denny Green. They are who we thought they were. He was the situational pass rusher who came in on third downs and was effective. I mean, six and a half sacks. That That's good. That's yeah, good production. Just to, to, to clarify those pressure numbers. So DeForest Buckner... Again, one of the top interior defenders when it came to generating pressure. 52 total pressures on 516 pass rush snaps. Doomerville had 50 and 289. Yeah. So, yeah, the, he was, again, didn't play a lot. He was exactly what we hoped he would be. He came in there. I mean, dude only played 50 run snaps last year. So yeah. he was out there to rush the passer. He did a good job of that when he had the opportunity. Uh, and, yeah, I think it was it's a little surprising that they didn't bring him back considering how few options yeah. they had to really upgrade that spot. Well, I think they were probably looking for youth and, and they're trying they're, they're looking for a future upside and not, you know, keeping keeping the age up. But sure. Why not do both? Man? Yeah, I know. But I wonder whether or not this this kind of this dependence on interior pressure, I guess the frequency of interior pressure affects the 49ers sack conversion rate. Because last season, the 49ers only had a 5% sack rate, meaning the, the total pass snaps they, they actually got sacks on. That was 26 in the league. 
League average was 6.1. Two teams topped 9%, and that was the Steelers and the Jaguars. What we know are that edge pressures convert to sacks at a higher rate than interior pressures. So if you extend that and you basically say, well, if you're able to get more edge pressures, then you're going to get more sacks because they convert at a higher rate. If you And they actually convert at a higher rate, almost double, actually. You're looking at 0.97 for interior, 1.83 pressure conversion to sack rate for edge players. So you're looking at almost a double the rate of interior pass uh, or, or double the rate of edge conversion to sack than interior. So overall, you think to yourself, well, if the Niners are generating most of their pressure from the inside and you're, the edge players convert at almost double the rate, you're going to see your sack numbers be depressed. And so the, another area where you think to yourself, okay, even if they, even if you're looking at converting the sacks, which kill drives, you may not be able to to have interior pressure generate as many sacks as if you had a solid edge rusher, which the team doesn't. And I think that's why you know just kind of highlights why it's so important that the coverage, and that's why we talked about coverage first, um, is it's going to be very important uh, that that unit is better this year because I think of that exact reason, right? I think it again, makes sense that they can maintain the interior pressure they've been getting, but it seems unlikely that they're going to see an increase in the edge pressure with the guys that they still have there. So if, if we know that, yes, they may be bothering the quarterback at a relatively high rate, they need the guys on the back end to be able to hold up the, their end of things. Because last season, uh, you know, I think we touched on this last week when talking about, uh, you know, Robert Sala and a lot of his stunts and blitzes and whatnot, that uh, even though they generated pressure at a relatively high rate, that didn't result in a in an increase in actual like passing perform pass defense performance, right? So when you look at things like the passer rating allowed and adjusted net yards allowed and all those things, um, even though they were generating pressure, which typically leads to kind of a decrease in that stuff, that wasn't true for the 49ers because the coverage was so bad that they were still able to generate uh, you know consistent yardage there. So I think that really, uh, you know, kind of highlights how those two things are intertwined and that with the construction of this team right now, they need their interior guys to do work, but they're going to need that coverage to hold up their end as well. All right. So hit us with that better rivals confidence rating. Do you think is that high, medium or low confidence in the 49ers sustaining, improving, uh, sustaining or improving their pressure rate? Uh, I'm going to go like medium. It's like a medium high. I think they sustain. I, I think the sustain is there. Um, I, I would say it's low that they improve. I don't see a lot of opportunity for upside there. I don't see too many players who are going to be so much better than what they were last year uh, that they see a significant increase. But again, I think the sustain should be manageable. Yeah, I, I think they end up probably sustaining. I think they probably end up with a few more sacks this year um, just because randomness is randomness. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and so, And so I think the story will be that they improved their pass rush over last year even if it's probably going to be the exact same pass rush. They just got extra lucky on a couple more sacks because they're going to be playing with the lead more often. Yeah. And and teams are going to have to pass more, and that's more opportunities to sack. And if you keep the same rate, you're going to end up getting more sacks because you just have more opportunities. I mean, all it takes, right, is is there? there's so many things out of the defense's control that can lead to that. It's Patrick Mahomes in, what, week three, hanging on to the ball a little bit too long because he wants to make some plays and that gives the pass rush extra time to get home, right? It's it's guys bailing the pocket before they should and running right into a defensive player. Like there's so many things like that. You'd be surprised if you actually went and just watched sack after sack after sack and actually thought about like, okay, why did he get there? Did he actually just 
beat the block super quickly and be able to close in there? Or was it because the coverage was great and he had time to get there? Was it because the quarterback didn't get rid of the ball right away and, and, and so he had time to get there, right? So there are a lot of factors that go into actually getting that sack as, as the end result um, that defenses just don't have control over. So final storyline before we get to some more exigent factors is going to be about the offensive line. How good will this revamped offensive line actually be? What confidence level do we have that they will be any good? By the end of last season, the 49ers offensive line was performing fairly well. They ended the season ranking 14th in PFF pass block grading and 6th in run block grading, which is ridiculous. <laughs> was not ready for that. I think... Uh... Man, that just kind of highlights like how bad offensive line play is uh, in, in some other areas of the league. But the 49ers are going to be starting three new players on the offensive line this season. Of course, Richburg takes over for Kilgore at center. Uh, I hope Kilgore is enjoying sunny Miami at this point. Uh, Trent Brown has now been replaced with rookie Mike McGlinchey, who happens to be older than Trent Brown <laughs> by at least 12 years. Uh, right guard is to be determined, uh, but Jonathan Cooper... Joshua Garnett, who apparently is uh, in the tub already, uh, and Mike Person are battling out for the starting job. So even though this offensive line kind of ended the year on an uptick, you still saw some reshuffling along the right side of the line, the left side, of course, maintaining its stability. And much like with adding rookies to the secondary, not entirely sure how adding a rookie to right tackle, which is one of the more valuable positions on offensive line, and reshuffling your center and guard is ultimately going to shake out. Definitely. It, it introduces um, some question marks. And I think on the positive side of things, uh, there is definitely some some really high potential for this unit. I think there you can make a case that there, this unit could ultimately be the best offensive line San Francisco's had since those early Harbaugh years, right? When they were basically the best in football, you know, during that 2011-2012 uh, stretch. So, you look at you know Joe Staley and how well he played really over the second half of last season. Finished the year as the highest graded tackle uh, from PFF. Richburg is you know f- hopefully finally healthy and, and coming over and is in a much better scheme fit than what he was in, in with the Giants. You look at the last time that he was fully healthy in 2015, the highest graded center in the league. You have Mike McGlinchey, who again talking upside here, the top tackle in the draft, right? Uh, has that sort of pedigree that you want in your tackles that ultimately stick there for, you know, 10, 12 years and are kind of mainstays on your offensive line. He has that sort of high end potential. And then even at guard, right, where you're maybe have a little bit lower expectations. You have three former first round picks that are kind of vying for those spots, Lakin Tomlinson, Jonathan Cooper, Joshua Garnett. So again, I think the potential is there for this unit to be very good. But like you mentioned, you're you're introducing three of five new starters uh, on this offensive line. And we know that having that sort of cohesiveness from season to season is really a big deal on the offensive line. And so whether or not they actually end up reaching that potential is kind of a whole nother thing. Well, I think the flip side to each one of those is is you, know, you kept mentioning upside and that's the, the unfortunate dirty word, because when you think about Richburg, it's like, OK, injuries are, are scary. And whether or not you can come back from injury is going to be problematic as well. And Richburg's injury, uh, I feel like it was a concussion at some point. Uh, and then, I don't think it was like a soft tissue injury or anything like that. I think it was it was a... Yeah, I feel like uh, there were... I, man, I can't remember actually off the top of my head. I feel like there was like a hand thing that was bothering him for an extended period as well. Um, which, of course, we know is like important for offensive linemen. I don't know. We'll try to look it up there. But yeah, 
you can go down the list, right, and have well, yeah, negatives so, of the, uh, the, the same thing. Richburg, he was placed on injured reserve with a concussion. Day before the Lions, the Giants lost their season opener, which, you know, you, you always worry about concussions. Oh, yeah. And then Jeff Schwartz came out and said that it was like basically bullshit. Right. Do you remember that whole back and forth? Vaguely. Thing? Yeah. So like obviously Jeff Schwartz uh, now of, I don't know, football Twitter. I don't know where he's doing things uh, <laughs> at the moment. Um, he mentioned because, of course, he played with the Giants, played with Richburg, knows him well, um, you know, mentioned that basically this whole thing with him landing on IR was kind of a bunch of crap and, and that he essentially was healthy and could have been ready to come back, but the giants didn't want him there. And so he's on IR, but yeah, take, you know, believe that if only he would have had some McAdoo hair gel to put on his own hair to give himself an extra layer of protection against concussions. I think that would have been great, (laughs) but, but let's, let's presume the team is at their word and we say, okay, an injury ending or a concussion that ends your season is worrisome. You had a Mike McGlinchey, who's a rookie, who is still an unknown commodity, better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. And if we're talking about value for offensive linemen, they're more valuable as pass blockers than they are run blockers just because passing is more valuable than running. And and so even if he is good, which we don't know that he is, he could be really good at the thing that is not as valuable as passing. And then Jonathan Cooper is, well, Jonathan Cooper. And if he doesn't win, then you've got Josh Garnett, who may not actually be good at all, but they may just have him win because of his pedigree. And if neither of them win and you've got Mike Person, you've got a journeyman right guard, you know, so that that's kind of the flip side of all this, which is, yep. yes, upside is great. But, you know, Jonathan Cooper is who we thought he is at this point. Mike Person's a journeyman. Uh, Garnett's an, a complete unknown in this system. And so is Mike McGlinchey. So all of that to say, how confident are you in, <laughs> in the offensive line, this revamped offensive line, being a, a good enough on- offensive line to, to be the, the thing that fuels them to over eight wins? Oh, man. I'm adding levels to this. You know, it's patent pending, so we're still, like, making adjustments <laughs> to the confidence rating here. So I had, like, a little medium high last time. This is, like, because I don't want to go straight medium on all these. I feel like that's kind of a cop-out. Um Especially I, when we're like, talking about eight wins. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so I think this one's more medium low. I feel good about Staley being Staley. And at least, like, even if he's not the best tackle in football, you know, he's Staley's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him just yet. He's going to be good. Um, I feel good about Richburg as well. I, I think that the scheme fit, um, you know, as long as the health is is fine, which it seems to be at this stage, uh, I, I feel very good about him fitting in well in this offense and, and being a quality piece there. The other ones are more iffy. Um, you know, I like Mike McGlinchey long term, but I don't know that, you know, you have too many tackles who come in right away and are playing at a super high level as a rookie, right? You tend to see some growing pains there, and I think we're going to see that with him. And then those guards, you know, uh, Lake and Tomlinson played well uh, over the, the second half of last season. That's the only time he's played well in his entire career. Um, Turn that into some money, though. That's more than Jonathan Gar- uh, Jonathan Cooper, uh, Joshua Garnett have played well in their entire careers. Um, so I think there's a lot of question marks at guard. And so, yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I think medium low. I mean, really what we're hoping for with offensive line, we've talked about this before. You just don't want any of those guys to be terrible. If they can just all be competent, they don't need to be the best players at their position or even anything close to that. They just need to not be a complete liability. And if you get five guys who are competent across there, that's the makings of, of a good offensive line. 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a medium for me. And I'm as I'm looking at this rating, I feel like we missed an opportunity to name it like the Taco Bell hot sauce rating. I feel like we could have gone mild, hot, and fire, uh, oh, and that would have been and that would have been good. Uh, this I'm, is what happens when we come up with these things like 20 minutes before we start. Recording. Yeah, you know, yeah. look, I'm, we're gonna you know peel the curtain back a little bit and say like, yeah, we spent the hour beforehand uh, putting together this patent uh, this patent pending rating system. But but not a lot of thought into this. No, clearly. But we wanted to patent it though. <laughs> so I think it's medium for me, and honestly, it's medium only because it, it would be low if it were not for Richburg. Richburg, I think, is the thing that changes everything for me. I think McGlinchey is going to be a worse pass protector out of the gate than Trent Brown. And that doesn't mean that's that fair. that's where he will end up. I think Mike McGlinchey is probably going to end up as, as just a fine tackle and he's going to be great. But this season, 2018. He's going to be worse at protecting Garoppolo than Trent Brown was. Now, he will probably be better in the run game, and that's valuable for Shanahan. But overall, in terms of value for the offense, I'm not sure how much better that gets them. Sure. And, and I think the guard position is a wash. I think whether it's Cooper or Garnett or Person or Fusco, I think they're all going to be at or near the Fusco line because Fusco wasn't bad last year. So I think that's probably a wash. Left guard's a wash. Left tackle is the same, upgraded center, and right tackle is like, uh, not sure. So really, it's it's Richburg, and that's the only reason I'm at medium, because if not, I'm at low. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all that's fair. Again, uh, potential is there, and, and you can certainly make that case, but to pretend that like all of these players are going to suddenly come out and have career years, I mean, seems a little unreasonable. Well, and so now we get into putting it all together to a certain degree, where, okay, everything has to go right in the secondary, but you've got to have rookies that are playing out of their mind. You've got to have low sample size players like Colbert play well. You've got to have Akella Witherspoon take a step. You've got to have Richard Sherman come back and play great. And then on the offensive line, you've got to have your right tackle rookie play great. You've got to have a uh, center that comes back from injury and doesn't have to worry about it. You've got a right guard that is an improvement over Fusco, which wasn't a bad guard. Like Now you kind of see where it's like not everything is going to break the 49ers way. Oftentimes we talk about them as individual components and individual units and we say, yes, that offensive line is going to be great. They're going to take a next step. Yes, that secondary is going to be great. They're going to take a next step. But all of those things together are not going to happen. Yeah, They're just not. The likelihood of that happening is low. Not impossible, but low. I think that are we ready to wrap this up right now? Do you want well, no, to let's you get, want to get a couple? Let's get a couple things. I have really a couple quickly, thoughts there, but let's get to these other things first. Really quickly, let's get to the exigent factors. The things that the Niners have little control over. We'll go through these quickly. One is going to be the schedule because how the, the teams that you play is, of course, important based on how your season ends up. So the schedule right now is not slated to be a super difficult one for the 49ers. Based on uh, the PFF ELO ratings, they'll have an easier schedule than both the Rams and the Seahawks. Football Outsiders has them with the 23rd toughest schedule. Really, the back half of the year is where the schedule eases up because that first half is a hell of a gauntlet. So if you think they're going to make up ground in the back half of the year, this is where we're kind of predicting the narrative that you're going to hear for the 49ers over the course of the year where they started out kind of rocky and then they're picking up momentum. The You think of the teams, the Cardinals, the, the Raiders, the Giants, the Bucks, Seattle twice, Denver, Chicago, L.A., like that, that's where you think the Niners are going to make things up. But let's say that those teams are not as bad as we think they're going to be. Let's say that Jameis Winston, for whatever reason, has the not bonehead game against the Niners. Let's say that, you know, Seattle ends up playing like Seattle does because they still have some playoff pieces there and that Denver did find its quarterback. And all of a sudden, you're not facing as easy of a schedule as you thought you were on that back half. And that could 
have a big impact on whether or not the Niners get above eight wins. Definitely, because, yeah, I mean, you look at that first half, too, and I think it's it could very easily be rough. I mean, the things are not easy during that, like, first month and a half there. You're going to Minnesota, to Kansas City, to Los Angeles uh, to play the Chargers. Then you've got at Green Bay in there. Then you've got your first game with the Rams, right, all in the first uh, seven weeks of the season. And there's not a, a single team in that stretch where you're like, yeah, that's an easy win right there. That's 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 a cupcake team. And then you get to that second half. And yeah, I think you can you can go down the list with basically every team there and make a pretty solid case for them going, you know, both good and bad this season. I mean, teams like except for maybe Arizona, I mean, Arizona, though, like even do you think they're going to be like really like bad, like like top five pick bad? Like they have a quarterback yeah. question, but they have some other pieces there that are that are OK. You know, you're getting I don't think Josh Rosen is very good uh, and won't be very good as rookie year. And sure. and and even if he's not, then you've got Bradford there. And, and that's where I think if they are going to play someone, I think Bradford's going to be their their best play. But I think by week eight, it's probably going to be the Rosen show. There are so many good teams in the NFC that it could just end up being like of the what 10, 12 teams that have legitimate playoff aspirations. Like it could just be like the six with the easiest schedule, you know, when we look back at things at the end of the season. So uh, I think there's a lot of competition for those spots and for those wins in the NFC and, and how that second half shakes out is going to be a big deal. So what's your confidence level that the Niners schedule will in fact be easy, especially in that back half enough such that they can make up some wins and end up over eight. I'm going to go that the schedule I have a I'm going medium high again, medium high confidence that it actually ends up being a below average difficulty schedule. Um, you've made this a five part scale. You've yep, made this. A, I did. A, you know, I don't I just don't feel strongly about you've going made high. this. A, you've made this a pentagram. I'm not OK with this. I like triangles. I'm sorry, like like triumvirates. Said, why you shouldn't have said patent pending. If it had like an actual patent, <laughs> then we would have had to stick to it. Uh, but now I'm making up my own rules. God damn it. Uh, usually your thing is I don't make the rules, but now you're making the rules. I f- I'm deciding finally to make the rules. Oh, fuck. At least right. for this one case. Now we're all screwed. <laughs> all right. My confidence rating in terms of the schedule uh, is probably going to be, I, I would say, medium. Um, I-, I honestly think that the one team that could, uh, of all the teams we've mentioned, the one team that may provide the most problems is going to be Chicago. I, I think they're, yeah, they're more spring. likely to be good than Arizona, I think. And and so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you see like a big increase for their offense. Right. Yep. Um, I think their it, defense was already solid last year and Vic Fangio was still there and he still has a lot of the same pieces. And there's a lot of things about that offense that screams like kind of Rams light from last year. Yep, right. That's exactly right. So let's get to the other exigent factor, and that's going to be injuries. Will the 49ers be able to avoid significant injury? So we're not here to predict whether injuries are going to happen unless we're talking about Reuben Foster, which we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but we do know that injury and health play a significant role in determining a team and their success leading into the playoffs and playing in late into the season. Last season, the Niners were unlucky on defense, lucky on offense. They were dead last in football outsiders adjusted games loss on defense last year. And they dealt with a ton of injuries, both along the defensive line and in the secondary. On offense, they managed to stay mostly healthy. They finished eighth in adjusted games lost on offense, and Pierre Garçon was really the most significant player to miss time. Four of the five offensive linemen from last year played in the majority of snaps, and and basically Fusco, Kilgore, Tomlinson, and Staley all played in like 980 of an available 1099. So that's like 
I'm not, you know, again, mathy podcast, <laughs> like 90% plus of snaps. And these things tend to regress back to the average from season to season. So if we're looking for a bounce into the, into the mean, you're probably looking at more games lost on the offense and fewer games lost on the defense. So overall, how do you think that the injury is going to affect the 49ers prospects in 2018? I think if we just play it purely by that, like regress to the mean, right? So if we just for right now assume that the defense is healthier, the offense is a little less healthy, I think that actually bodes well for them this season being better, right? I think it's more important right now, barring Garoppolo, right? Obviously, if Garoppolo gets hurt, none of this matters. This whole podcast was a waste of time. Like, <laughs> if, if if he stays healthy, but they have some other injuries along the offense, um, I think they can overcome that. I think they have, you know, between what you're really looking at offensively, right, and the success, and this is something that probably, you know, talk about when we get to the final predictions, but it, it really relies on the fact that you know that Shanahan's going to be awesome and that, you know, you feel confident about Garoppolo being good, right? If those two things are in place, I think you can overcome some injuries offensively. Defensively, we know that success is a lot more about talent and and just whether you have your best players on the field and whether those guys are performing at a high level than it is about anything, you know, scheme related that you can use to overcome that. You need guys, you need talented players on defense that are going out there and making plays. So if they can be healthy on that side of the ball, deal with a few more injuries on offense, I think ultimately that comes out as, as kind of a net positive for them on the season. Uh, CONCACAF has its Champions League in October. So if the Niners lose Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe just watch some CONCACAF. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, I'm done watching the 49 Like, are you trying to go back to watching C.J. Beathard? I'm not. Like, I, I'm, I'm spoiled already through five games. I don't want to go back to that. I looked at the, I looked at the quarterback grades for, because now that the PFF has the, their elite kind of refresh stats, I looked at the grades for C.J. Beathard on the, on the passing map. Everything to the left was bad. It was not good. And I remember last year when we were doing podcasts on stage, but they were like, hmm, is throwing left going to be a problem? Absolutely. Dude just like couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Was just like allergic to the left side of the field. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, I think that that's, that's, I think the injury question will eventually be a wash. All right. So hit me with your final predictions. uh, And let's, let's listen to some of those thoughts that you had uh, from earlier. Right. So what's ultimately your final record prediction after we've, taken these storylines through the the patent pending now david newman adjusted uh, (laughs) better rivals probability rating uh, or confidence rating Uh, what's your record prediction and what's your confidence rating in said prediction so i think that they're gonna go the more i think about it the more i think they go over the vegas win total so i do think they managed to hit uh kind of that nine win plus territory um, I think as a, a specific record, I will go with right at nine and seven. Um, I think that there's just enough there. there there's enough question marks to make me feel a little hesitant that they're going to be able to manage 10 wins in, in kind of a loaded NFC. Um, I do want to go back to the kind of the reason, the main reason I feel confident that they'll get over. So as a confidence rating, um, ooh, I'm going to go ahead and go high. I feel, I feel good about nine wins, about getting over that eight and a half. And, and this is the main reason why you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a few minutes ago, right, about how there's all of these question marks and there's not going to be any way that all of these get answered possibly. And I completely agree. However, all of those problems are not equal. Right. And, and the main problem is Jimmy Garoppolo and, and, and whether he plays well or not. And 
if he ultimately is the real deal and he's a guy that plays as a top quarterback throughout the entire season, that can be enough to overcome a lot of the other deficiencies, right? Even if the coverage isn't quite as good as we hope it is, even if the pass rush takes a little bit of a dive and the, the defense just in general doesn't take that big of a step forward, even if you know some of the other parts on offense aren't there, we've seen him and Shanahan, that combination, be able to overcome some of those problems already just in that small stretch last year. So I think the the confidence rating and the fact that I think that they'll go over eight and a half really comes down to very high confidence in both Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that will mask a lot of other deficiencies. And I agree. And that's, I think, why my final prediction for their record is going to be 10 and six. And my confidence is probably a little lower. It's probably medium. But overall, I think for, for all the reasons that you just stated, I think they end up sneaking a, an extra win or two because of uh, Kyle Shanahan specifically. And that's the, we, we've talked about before how offense is one of the areas that is very affected by coaching quality. Whereas defense, I think it, it, that's not to say that defensive coaches are not important, but I think you can get away with less schematic uh, variability and less schematic innovation and, and more with talent. And I think our defense right now is a testament to that. The 49ers and Seahawks, you know, and Atlanta defense are, defenses are not multiple. They're not exotic. They line up and play, by and large, a, a pretty, you know, for the NFL standards. Jacksonville, right? Best yeah. defense running the same scheme. What's the difference between those two? The Not talent. Yeah, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. And so I think that that when you when you think about the effectively the wins above replacement that as a coach Kyle Shanahan gives you, and then you pair him with Jimmy Garoppolo, and now that the entire offense is in year two, even if Garoppolo is in year uh, you know kind of one and a half ish, I think all that ends up netting you a couple of more wins. And when I look at the schedule, you know for for every for every team we said that could be better than expected, there are also teams that could be worse than expected. We don't know if the quarterback situation in Minnesota is going to pan out. And and so we don't know whether or not maybe the Niners sneak a win opening week, right? Because there's not as much film on that team week one. And we've seen several times where teams that are not very good win in week one against a team that ends up making it in the playoffs. We've seen the Niners do that very recently. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah. If the Niners can sneak a win, especially early on in the year against a team like the Vikings or the Lions, then all of a sudden you're talking about picking up an extra win, especially against an NFC team. That's your 10th win. That's playoff seeding. So I think ultimately the, the team, because of the strength of the quarterback and because of the strength of the coach, are good enough for 10 wins. The big worry for me is that edge pass rush because that's the other very, very valuable thing. Um, the probably the third most valuable, but still very valuable in the quarterback coverage, you know, pass rush panacea. I, I think the I think that's the, the my biggest worry, right? That if I had to, like, if there was one thing that we look back on at the end of the season and be like, okay, that's kind of why they didn't end up reaching eight wins, right? Um, I think the coverage is is absolutely the thing for me there, like. I like a lot of the players that are there, but there are just so many question marks about not only who's going to get snaps, but about, you know, whether these young players are going to develop. There's such a young group outside of Richard Sherman on that. And of course, Sherman comes with his own questions. So, uh, you know, I'm just very interested to see how all that plays out. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic there. The other point, kind of the final point that I'll have is like, this is still a very young team. And we still don't know a ton about a lot of these players and about how a lot of these things are going to work themselves out. 
Uh, and so I think this season is going to be, while I'm optimistic, is going to be a, a very interesting to watch how some of these things play out. All right, let's get to the fun part. Let's get to superlatives and then a prediction speed round. So four superlatives, team MVP, uh, go. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, come on. Okay, fair. Uh, I'm not going to say one because it'd be Jimmy Garoppolo. Offensive player of the year, a.k.a. your most valuable offensive non- non-quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I'm going to go, uh, this was my guy who was breakout player on offense. Uh, I'm going to go George Kittle. Um, I, I just, I love what he brings to the table. I think, uh, you know, everything's in place for him to have kind of a big year. Um, and, and I think he's going to be a big factor in what they do offensively. I'm going to say Jarek McKinnon. Because I think he's going to put up yeah. a lot of numbers, uh, and and so I think that that they will be seen as valuable, uh, and and I think overall for the offense it will be defensive player of the year. Go. So Buckner's the obvious one. Um, I'm going to go with Keller Witherspoon. I'm going oh. all in on a Kello man. I mean, it's hey, my man. dude. Uh, you know, I've been, been here feet. for him since even before the draft. One of the few players that I got like attached to before the draft actually happened. Um, and I'm right. I think he's there. Uh, he's got all the tools, you know, the athleticism profile is so high, which gives him such a high ceiling. Um, I just feel very good about where he's at and, and what he can do this season. I'm going to go with Ruben Foster because he plays a more obviously flashy position. I think DeForest Buckner's greatness gets lost in the fact that he doesn't play a position that gets a lot of, uh, uh, that, that gets a lot of accolades because the things that he does are not as obvious. Yeah. Uh, and so I think Ruben Foster is a very obvious presence, and that's why I think ultimately he gets more accolade. Uh, and then last is Rookie of the Year. It needs to be Mike McGlinchey. Uh, I mean, that's what it it absolutely has to be. Um, I think, you know, again, he's the first rounder. He's the one with the highest expectations. Um, but also, like, uh, again, going back to this whole thing with Garoppolo and this offense being being good, uh, it's the clean pockets, right? Garoppolo is very good in clean pockets. We know that that's stable. So offensively, it makes sense that you want to try to create as many clean pockets as possible. And so having good tackles is kind of the first step in that. Uh, and so I think Mike McGlinchey's ability to uh, not be terrible his rookie season is going to be a big factor. And if he can come in and and get to a point where you're not noticeably like, yearning for Trent Brown to be back at right tackle. Like, I think that's going to be enough for him to have kind of the biggest impact. Uh, I think you're right. And you, and when you say it, it has to be Mike McGlinchey, if any other rookie ends up being rookie of the year, something terrible happened. <laughs> Dante Pettis is the only other one that could be close, but even then Dante Pettis is only getting lots of snaps because he, because of, of an injury somewhere else. And you move right on down the line and you think of Fred Warner. Okay, maybe, but if the linebackers are having a ball out season, then you're probably looking at, you know, the you're, you're looking at Reuben Foster and then uh, maybe Malcolm Smith. But if Fred Warner overtakes him, maybe it's Warner. Other yeah, than- I like I mean, I like a lot of those defensive players. We talked about this, the draft like they're, they're all yeah, but super even more, intriguing, but more you're like, as a backup. Contavious yeah. Street's on IR. DJ Reed, like then what happened to both Jimmy Ward and uh, uh, Kwan Williams? Marcel Harris, he's a safety. What happened to all of the safeties? Julian Taylor, defensive tackle. Like you just, it's it's got to be Mike McGlinchey with an outside seasoning of Fred Warner. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the prediction speed round. We're going to do some over unders and then some some general questions. Over under DeForest Buckner sack total at eight. Over or under? I'm going to go under. Uh, it's just hard for uh, an interior player to hit that number. I think there were six players last year that hit that number or higher uh, as interior defensive linemen. So, uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to go under. 
Uh, I'm going to go under as well. And let's go to Pierre Garçon's total yards. 1,000 over or under? Over. Garçon is being like criminally underrated right now. Dude was legit last year before he got hurt. And that was with Brian Hoyer and CJ Bathard throwing the ball. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. And and that still doesn't mean... I, I think that you get two wide receivers or two receivers, I will say, that push 1,000 yards near the end of the year just based on the offense and the amount of yards that are available in this offense. And I think that's something the Niners are and Niners fans are not used to. They're used to having maybe a 1,000-yard receiver named Anquan Bolden. <laughs> uh, all right, over-under on the number of 20 or further yard receptions by Marquise Goodwin. The over-under is set at 10. Go. Ooh, um... He had, I think, 11 targets with Jimmy Garoppolo last year um, during that, but only completed two. I want to say two. Yeah, two. Two sounds right. Um, I'm going to go under. I, I just I don't know that that's what Jimmy does. Well, even if he's better there, I still don't think it's going to be a strength of his game. And I think that the you know kind of short and intermediate stuff is still going to be the focus for the offense. Um, so I think he, he gets close, but I'm going to say under, I'm going to go over, I'm going to go over just because of volume. Uh, and while, even though it's not what he does best, uh, I think 11 targets over the course of five games, you stretch that out to 15, you're looking at about 30, 33 targets. Uh, and if you're completing about 20 to 25% of those, um, I think, you know, it gets close, but I'm going to go ahead and, and, and go over. Um, yeah. I mean, you got to get right. Like I, I think hopefully they are taking at least a couple shots, right? Like yeah. we've talked about this in the past. Like you just have to uh, it, sometimes just throw it deep and take a shot and see what happens. So yeah, if, if you're giving them a couple opportunities a game, you're you're looking, you're hoping for about a 30%, you know, clip there that you're completing those passes. Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable, but yeah, I'm yeah. going to go a little under. Uh, all right. Jarrett McKinnon's catches over or under 70. This is another one that's that's right there uh, close. I don't think that that sounds like a very high number for a running back. I mean, I think you got to remember that Carlos High, high had, had sixty eight. Like, uh, yeah, he had like eighty what eighty nine targets. He had yeah. something somewhere like that. Somewhere he ended the, up with like sixty eight catches or something like that. But. Yeah. So uh, and that sort of catch rate for a running back uh, definitely isn't unreasonable. Um, I'm going to go under there as well. I I think this really comes down to. Um, I'm kind of this is maybe more hope than think, but uh, hoping that Matt Breed is a little bit better than what we saw last year in the passing game and that that he, you know, balances out those targets enough to where he, he has a hard time getting 70. All right. Over under number of Matt Breed rushing yards, 700. Ooh, uh, under. I'll go under. Yeah. yeah. Over under the number of times Ruben Foster is tended to by trainers, <laughs> takes a few snaps off and then returns a few snaps later. The over under is set at six. Uh, this is my favorite. Uh, so we, we know that he's going to miss two games. So we're looking at a max of 14, which means that in order to get over, it's got to be every other game, right? Once every other game, seven times. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go over. I'm going to go under. <laughs> it's probably going to be under, but man, uh, it would be funny if it was over. I've got to, I've got to write these down. We've not written these down, uh, what we end up doing in last in, in years past, and we're going to go back. You remind me to do this at the end when we stop recording. Okay. Uh, all right, now we get to the just the straight-up questions. Is Josh Garnett on the 49ers opening day roster? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. All right, I say no. 
I say he loses out the starting role and ends up getting cut. Team interception leader. Go. Witherspoon. Yeah, I go Sherman. I think people test him, and then he just ends up stealing their lunch. Uh, Speaking of Richard Sherman, will he meet his escalators this season? We'll go down the line. 90% of snaps, yes or no? Yes. Uh, I say yes as well. Pro Bowl, yes or no? No. I say yes, based on name recognition. Uh, All Pro, yes or no? No, he doesn't make All-Pro either. And honestly, he shouldn't make the Pro Bowl, but he will because he's Richard Sherman. Yeah, I guess and, that was maybe more my... And the, Pro Bowl, and the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. When it and comes especially right if the, the 49ers actually do end up playing well. Exactly. And he's seen, you know, like there's a narrative around him being a significant part of that. Like, yeah, totally. All right, and finally, will any edge player finish the year above the Doomerville line? Will any edge player for the 49ers end up with more than six sacks on the year. Yes or no? No. Nope. Not happening. No. I think I think best case scenario for a Tauchi is probably somewhere in that six, six, seven sacks. You're range. you're hoping for uh, you know, good enough by committee is is basically what this edge group is gonna be. Man. Um, put that on a t shirt. <laughs> you're you're hoping that those uh the guys that you mentioned are like decent enough to to get a few sacks. You're hoping that maybe Solomon Thomas, you know, if they're looking for some packages to get him, Armstead, and Buckner all in the field, and you see Solomon Thomas on the edge a little bit, like that he can get a few sacks there. Like that's that's really the best that you can hope for, I think. Man, that's uh that's sad. It really is. It's not a great situation. No, it's yeah. all right though. I, I think overall they, they will rise above. So overall Final prediction from the Better Rivals podcast. You've got a 9-7 and seven prediction. You've got a 10-6 and six prediction with the confidence level anywhere from medium to medium high if you're going to just create categories out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, so that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. And, and now you get to find out why we are drinking Anchor Steam beer. Anchor Steam was my 2011 playoff beer. I had a playoff beer every year, 2011, 2012, 2013. I was the exclusive drinker of said beer over the entire playoffs thinking it'd be like a celebratory beer. Yeah, this is the beer that tasted like, you know, a Super Bowl or whatever. And 2011, of course, did not end as we hoped. Ended for me personally in a lot of tears uh, and staring at the bottle of many an empty Anchor Steam. I've, I've never drank Anchor Steam since then, actually. I've never drank the playoff beer from 2011, 2012, or 2013 ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and... And I figured, you know, 2011, though, was the time, David, that you joined the podcast, and it really was the beginning of not only the the best three-year run that, you know, the Niners had in my adult life, but it was also the beginning of this crazy thing that we call the podcast. And this podcast has become a huge part of my life. It's become it's become, you know, fairly popular overall when it comes to 49erdom, and I could think of no better way than to end things with perhaps a playoff beer i thought i would never be able to drink again but now it seems fitting to end the same place that we began so david take it away well this will unfortunately be my last regular appearance on the better rivals podcast Um, you could say it a bit more energetically like it's it's uh it's it's a a very bittersweet thing but it's a good it's it's for a good reason it is for a good reason it's for a great reason like yes it sucks and we've done this now this is our sixth year doing this show together 
Yeah, so it would have been uh, what I think around November of 2012 is when I I first kind of uh, joined up, and and so yeah, we would have been entering season. I think number six uh, would have been this season, but yeah. So uh, if if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I recently accepted a full time position at Pro Football Focus. Um, and because of that, I will no longer be able to continue doing the podcast. Um, again, bittersweet, uh, you know, getting, getting a full-time position in football is something that I have been gunning for since we started, you know, doing this thing on the podcast. And and since I joined here and, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there's no way I would have been able to actually make that happen if it were not for this podcast. Um, but it it sucks. Um, it, it, there, there's no way around it. Uh, it. It sucks having to leave. I mean, I think uh, just the number of people that were like, "Wait, this isn't going to affect better rivals," right? When I when I had the news on Twitter and just kind of being like, "Ah, shit." Um, it it sucks. I mean, something that you know we put a lot of energy into to growing and and just has been such a significant part of my life every week for the last six years, right? Like doing this. Yeah, we've had our breaks in the off season, but for the most part, you know, every week for six straight years. Um, you know, this is, uh, what I've been doing and it's going to be very strange to kind of get to a point where that's not the case. Um, good news is, as I am going to hope to, you know, make it back on as a, a quote unquote guest as often as I can. Um, you know, it's still a lot to be determined about what my schedule is going to look like and, and what sort of availability. I mean, anybody, uh, with any, any full-time job in football, we'll, we'll let you know that it's like a very demanding schedule as much fun as it is. And as much as you wouldn't trade that for really anything, uh, it's a, it's a big time commitment. And, and so, um, you know, I don't know how often that's going to be going forward, but it, it is something I hope to do as often as I can possibly make it happen. Well, over the last six years, I mean, when, when we started this, David, you just gotten back from, from your tour playing army and and we i mean we knew each other work wise but we weren't friends and and not in the sense that we would say that i would say that we are now yeah. and over over the last 6 years i mean i'm li- i'm currently you gave me the gift of anchor steam back i can drink this beer once again which is good <laughs> um i i'm literally holding a groomsman koozie cuz i was a groomsman in your wedding um you are an an you've become one of my best friends and are one of my best friends. And I know that we'll still keep up. Unfortunately, the people will get yeah. to hear our bullshit now via text, but, <laughs> um, but it, it's been a hell of a ride. I've loved every single minute of being on air with you. Um, I've learned a ton from you. Um, fun fact, the, the speech I gave at David's wedding <laughs> involved describing the pin concept <laughs> and the mills <laughs> concept, uh, which was pretty funny, but, uh, it's been man i'm 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 happy because over this process i learned a lot about football but i gained uh i gained a friend uh and that is the the best thing that i could ever ask for so thank you for everything that you've taught me everything for everything thank you for everything you've done uh for the podcast and good luck man being full-time football dude uh i'm still i still expect all of the weird special teams clips uh <laughs> when you're watching uh film because <laughs> those are the best um and yeah oh, i know man. you're gonna do uh some great things and I'm, I'm i'm positive that very very soon uh you should kick one of the guys off the pff podcast and just just take over that shit because you should <laughs> yeah i don't know about that i don't know how thrilled they will be uh about it's a that cool idea but word of the podcast cool oh, it's gonna be our last david and oscar call to action coup de call coup. to action been a bit yeah it's been, it's been a, like a year and a half since yeah. we've had a call to action but if you remember back in the day we had a call to action it's this time it's gonna be coup d'etat 
If you can spell it, bonus points. If you know what it means, second bonus points. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, God, uh, but yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, that's that's how we'll end it. Uh, for those wondering, what does this mean for the podcast? The Better Rivals podcast will indeed continue. Over the next three weeks, we are going to be interviewing people from other SB Nation sites or other friends of the pod to preview other teams as we get to know our NFC West rivals leading up to the year. Uh, and then the podcast will continue into the season, uh, perhaps with a different co-host, but still with the same great content. Because at the end of the day, we still want to make sure that you are a better rival in any sports conversation. So you'll still be able to tune in. You'll still be able to listen. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.